say you watch basketball from four to ten, and she says, "What time can I come over?" You know, I want to watch my team play too. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping 'cause it's real crazy time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Come on, everybody! All right, everybody, welcome to the 16th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. And the first of 2016, I am Dustin, live in rainy Rip City, and I got my man... Sage, man. Rain, sleet, snow, ice on the ground. Holy backboard delivers. That's right. We're like the mailman, except we do deliver on Sundays. It it was a very interesting week, my friend. You know, interesting to, to say the least. The Blazers, very Jekyll and Hyde over this past week, you know... Making me look bad. I get all excited after they get a couple wins. Easy schedule coming up. I'm thinking, okay, 4-0, bada-bing, bada-boom. Like shooting fish in a barrel. It's going to be easy. It should have been. They should have they won four straight. They go 2-2. Two and two. I guess if you want to start off with a basketball game that broke out at the Rose Garden uh, last night, if you want to call it that, I was you know sitting... In the last row of Section 329, and man, it was tough to watch. Even as one of the most diehard Blazer fans out there, it was brutal. The final score read 91-78 Memphis, but in all honesty, it wasn't that close. Neither of those two teams really should have scored that many points. Had we played Golden State or San Antonio, it could have been one of those 50 or 60 point losses, if I am being honest. Portland only scores 15 in the first quarter. Just It's just an ugly game, Sage. Just ugly. It was a weird week, to be honest. We got to see CJ shine, a role player shine, and then when Dame came back, we thought it was going to be all good. Everyone would return back to the role that they had when Dame was playing. And I feel like there was a little bit of your turn, my turn, between CJ and Damian. I thought it was your turn, my turn for the whole team. Mm -hmm. So many unnecessary passes, man. I wanted to just yell from... Row, row P, section 329, just shoot the damn ball. I mean, the, the amount of unnecessary extra passes was driving me crazy. There's, there's unselfish basketball and there's unselfish to a fault, and that's what was on display. It really started from the very beginning, and it never went away. Just Portland's normally careless with the basketball in general. We've seen it throughout this year. Uh, turnovers are their bugaboo. But when they're passing up open shots and they're getting turnovers that way, that hurts even more because those are the ones you don't expect. And, you know, Memphis is a good defensive team, but they're definitely a step, probably two steps slower than they were last year. So, and we also saw this team put up over 100 points in that November game against the Grizzlies and also played them very tough in Memphis. So this was a game I was really confident about. And how we came out, it was... It was really hard to describe. I know we played the night before in Denver, but we have a deep rotation. I think you're right. I think the Lillard return was uh, had a lot of people questioning, what's my role again? And I don't think that's to blame anybody, but you got players who are used to taking more shots, used to getting more minutes, and now you're incorporating your franchise player back into you know the swing of things after a two-week absence. And you know, to be quite honest, it probably is not the most surprising thing in the world. Yeah, in basketball... Having a defined role is one of the most important things. And when your star player gets injured or is sick, everyone has to step up. And there needs to be a few games just to get everybody's role reestablished. 
because we don't want CJ to be that lone scorer. He did a fantastic job, but I don't want to put that much pressure on him. Dame will alleviate that pressure, which I think in the long run is a good idea. But it might just be a few games of really poor basketball in the process. Yeah, and unfortunately for the Trailblazers, it's it's going to come trial by fire by fire as their next three games are Clippers, Warriors, Thunder, three of the top four teams in the Western Conference. So they're going to have to get right and get right quick, get this fit situated because you know it, Lillard he goes seventeen points, four of fourteen shooting, two of ten from three. McCollum, not much better, 16 points on 6 of 18 shooting, 1 of 7 from 3 against the Grizzlies. If Portland wants to have a, a puncher's chance in either of these three games coming up, they have to ball out, ball out. And quite frankly, they have not been able to get on the same page this year. It's early on in the season, it was CJ opening night against New Orleans, and then it was Dame a couple games later. Really the only game where they both were on their on their game was that first Utah game when they outscored the, the Jazz backcourt 62-16. to 16. That's how they have to play for Portland to be not only competitive this year, but to be Western Conference playoff contenders in the years to come. So if Neil Olshay is banking on this backcourt as the foundation for this franchise, those two have to find a way to play together and play together not only effectively, but efficiently. I disrespect. I say some mean things about Alfarukaminu a lot, and I, I admit that. But I think we need a much better a perimeter defense because one of my biggest gripes was during pick and rolls, no one would help the helper. Like when the switch, no one would help that the big man's guy. So. Bigs like Jeff Withy would rim run to the rim and get easy dunks. And I saw it every single game this week. It was neglecting to help the helper on pick and rolls. And pick and rolls are 50 to 60% of NBA offenses. They're effective. You have to be decisive. And I saw people not even attempt to leave their man on defense. So it makes me wonder, can those two play defense together? They can score, but can they defend? Because if they can't, that's a tr- that's trouble for the future. You know, to touch on Chief, he was the reason this game was even remotely yeah, close. Yeah, he had a fantastic game, but the last three weren't. Yeah, you know, 15 points, 14 boards in 33 minutes. He was actually a plus nine in the plus minus category. You know, you take those points away, Portland's getting 63. And they had a couple of, you know deep threes go in, so really a 50-point outing without Chief, which is pretty ridiculous by today's NBA standards. But to go back to your point about defense, they both need to become better defenders. They're both so deadly with the ball on offense, and they're such gifted natural scorers that neither of them should feel the burden to have to score 30 a night. So you should take some of that energy that you were using on offense and put it towards the defensive end. I think that's one of my biggest gripes about Terry Stotts is it doesn't seem like he puts enough emphasis on the defensive end. I, I know he'll come out and say the right things to the press, but he's he was the offensive coordinator for that Mavericks championship team in 2011. He's an offensive guy. Out of timeouts, you know, he's money with a play. But I think 
defense is always going to be there. You can miss shots game in and game out, but defense should always be there. It's all about will and effort and want and scheme and strategy. It should be there. And for a team like the Blazers, who relies on the jump shot, and they're young. They're now the tied for the second youngest roster in the NBA with the 76ers. And they go 10, 11 deep. There's no excuse not to keep shuffling guys in and out, almost like hockey lines, just to get keep the defensive up. You're young. Use, use your legs. It's been a useful strategy in the past, shuffle people in and out. I mean, Hubie Brown would do that every game. He had a deep enough team where everyone played about 24 to 28 minutes. You can do that. Watching these games, it makes me really want like a very athletic defensive stopper, like Jay Crowder, a KCP. I think if the Blazers want to compete, we're going to need one of those type of defenders just to help lock up the perimeter. Because I don't blame the post for a lot of the mistakes on pick and roll. I blame the really bad perimeter defense that I'm seeing. So I think that's uh, where a little bit of a conundrum comes in for Neil O'Shea because he's got Lillard and McCollum. Lillard's locked up for the next five years. McCollum will, if all things keep going the way they are, is going to be a trailblazer for quite a long time as well. Then you've got Alan Crabb, who averaged about 17 points per game when Lillard went out as a third guard. He's a restricted free agent. He has shown some defensive potential, but if you're a team like the Trailblazers, you have other areas to address before you, I think, can address a perimeter defender because you feel pretty good about those three guards. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best three-guard rotation, potentially, that we've had you know, since that 2000 team with Mighty Mouse, Steve Smith, and Bonzi Wells, or if you even want to go back to the early 90s when they had Petro, Drexler, and Porter. I'm not saying our three right now are on that level, but you know, Brandon never had a, a great point guard with him because they always played Andre Miller on, with a second unit. Dame had Wesley Matthews, but they never had that third piece. McCollum wasn't ready yet. McCollum's, I think, already a top seven, five shooting guard. Dame's a top five point guard. Crab is showing that he is a great shooter and becoming more confident. That is a great foundation to have. So I, either one of them has to get moved or one of them has to start developing defensive tendencies because already there's not going to be enough minutes to bring in a guy like, you know, you're saying, you know, Jay Crowder. I was thinking Avery Bradley. Oh, God. For, the, yeah, I would love that. Draft a player. I've, I've seen the name Gary Payton, too, in the second round. You pick up a second-round pick, get him. Um, he's always up in the skills of the Pac-12 over at Oregon State. Is there going to be enough minutes for a guy like that to make an impact? Is I don't know. I, I kind of think of, I agree 100% with what you're saying, but I also feel like it's a luxury. Like in baseball, when you have a dominant closer, it's a luxury, but at the same time, when they go in the free agent market, you're not going to spend all that money to keep them because they're only pitching one inning. Mm-hmm. When you have a defensive stopper, they're, they're a niche player. Like They have to be able to also shoot, pass, dribble, etc. I think guys like Tony Allen, they're a luxury. Oh, and, I yeah. agree, but a DN3 isn't. Because no. When I said Jay Crowder, he's playing some fantastic ball. KCP, he's a great defender, long, athletic, but he can also hit that open three. So I think that is what we need. What I've seen on the defensive end, and especially the perimeter defense, it may be a luxury, but it's a luxury we need to have. So would you address that over a low post score? Yes. Because I I would have to disagree, just because we're going to talk about playing the Thunder and... The Thunder was always a good matchup for us because we had LaMarcus Aldridge. Mm-hmm. And as much stuff as I gave him, 
for leaving and shooting those contested twos. When he wanted to, he could put his back to the basket and go to work on Serge Ibaka and Steven Adams and Nick Collison mm-hmm. all game long. And that's how you beat the Thunders. You beat them up inside. You don't have that anymore. So now OKC goes to, from being one of our better matchups to now, frankly, one of the worst matchups in the entire NBA. Yeah. I think in today's NBA, you just have to be able to score in a plethora of ways and not stop, but slow them down. I do agree, like 100%, we do need that defensive stopper, but I just think they're, you know, this is a, a 15-win team right now. We know we're seven games under 500. There are a lot of holes to fill. So me and you could go back and forth oh, probably definitely. the next 30 minutes trying to say, no, we need this or we need that. Frankly, we need, we need quite a lot of things, which is, you know, why it's good that we have a, a ton of cap space, a couple of tradable assets, and a hopeful lottery pick coming up in June. But they did, before we talk about the other two games, I do want to go back to this, this Grizzlies game, and I want to get your thoughts on Terry Stotts. I think he's a good coach. Not great, but he's not, not bad either. I thought he got completely outcoached by Dave, Dave Yeager uh, last night at, at the Rose Garden. I, I couldn't, for the life of me, understand why we went small against a team that was bringing in Marc Gasol and Zach Randolph, and even when it was Zach Randolph coming off the bench, you're not worried about Jeff Green shooting jump shots. I don't know why we played into their hands. I would have, I would have went big and grabbed those rebounds because that those those boards were were crucial, and that's why we couldn't get stops down the stretch to bring the lead to a closer deficit. I mean, we sort of addressed this, or with Larry actually, that we needed to match Memphis's bigs with the bigs of our own to get those rebounds. I'm going to say Scott's is a very good offensive coach. I have seen a lot of inconsistencies with his defensive approach. And to be honest, having an offensive coach is better because there's not many elite offensive minds, but there is a ton of defensive talent. I would love it if bring in an associate head coach that really knows his stuff on defense and will do a collaborative coaching like Warriors, the Spurs, all these teams with collaborative coaching, I think, is where the NBA needs to go. And if you don't have the knowledge to be a great defensive coach, get some. Because be, it's, it's becoming a liability, and we're one of the bottom five teams of defense. We may be a top five offense, but it's not going to really matter when you're giving up points in bunches. Well, and Memphis isn't an offensive juggernaut by no. any So giving them those free, cheap, easy points just kind of made my skin crawl. You know, Zebo was, was vintage Zach, 26 points, only t- on 18 shots. He had 18 rebounds. Memphis just dominates the offensive glass. They had 17 boards. They were plus 10 on the rebound advantage overall. I was, again, a little perplexed, but I guess it is what it is. It already happened. Hopefully we make adjustments next time we play them. But real quick, for the Grizzlies, should they make a move at the deadline and blow it up? Because Mark Gasol looked absolutely Awful. washed. Yeah, washed, washed. I, I can't believe I'm seeing the same player I saw in last year's playoffs. Even slower than usual, not hitting his jump shot, not... I mean, just reaching on defense, not even playing position. I mean, he was just hacking. Mm-hmm. The whole, in fact, the whole Grizzlies team was just playing with their hands. Uh, it was a terribly officiated game. Not the reason we lost, but 
it's not going to last for Memphis. I mean, it already isn't. They're 19 and 17. They're lucky the West is, is terrible this year. But if I was, I would pull the cord. They've got Conley as a unrestricted free agent. I would strip that team bare bones. They've got no prospects. They need picks and young players. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to trade. Like, there are teams that are becoming buyers right now. The Brooklyn Nets are going to become buyers. They don't own their pick. Jack's injured, so they need to get some players. I would ship them off, get some usable guys. Thad Young is so consistent. Get some players, Memphis. They need to blow it up. They do. What what about this? Rondé Hollis-Jefferson to Memphis for, I don't know, but you get grindfather Tony Allen mentoring possibly... Mm Mm-hmm. Future grandfather. I think they that's a, that's a trade that just makes sense on so many levels, and I think it's going to be a wild trade deadline because teams are going to have so much money next year. Outside of the Warriors, I truly feel like everybody believes they they have a good chance at the top of the West. You know, San Antonio, Clippers, the Thunder, and then you've got the Cavs. So those teams feel like they're up there, but then. There are other teams that may not feel like they have a shot at the championship, but we might have a shot at the sixth seed or the seventh seed. And to some owners, that's good enough because it brings fans in the mm-hmm. seats. It gets you know fans excited. They're buying tickets. They're buying merchandise. You get that playoff you know exposure. You know that does mean a lot to them. Like a team like the Jazz, they don't probably need another lottery pick. They want to make the playoffs. So you're going to see a lot of teams. I think buying. I'm hoping Portland is a seller at the deadline, but that's for another time. Another podcast a, a, a very lengthy podcast at that probably one of our best podcasts of the year i would oh. imagine oh I've, I've already been doing so much research it, we got we got some we got some stuff that is valuable to us that might be valuable to some teams looking for that missing piece and to to move on from from that the blazers did pick up two wins both against the never nuggets 110 103 on the 30th in Portland, and then they followed it up with a 112-106 victory in Denver on the 3rd. What stood out to me was Noah Vonley's defense on Kenneth Fareed, just straight up locking him up in the post. Quick hands, the steals, just completely negated any of Fareed's impact. And, you know, he also was making buckets. Mm-hmm. In the second game, Stotts actually played him fourth quarter minutes, and I was astonished and thrilled because that's what we need to see down the stretch of the season is Vonley, Vonley, Vonley. He was the ninth pick in the 2014 draft. We all know that. If anybody has a ton of potential on this roster, it's him. we got to see. We just have to see what, what he's got. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be extended minutes. The way that those bigs attacked the rebounds – Made me happy. Who's Biggs? Denver's. Though that in that second game, I, I was pretty astonished that Nurkic and Freed Freed didn't have a good offensive game, but a hustle game, which you know we like. They were hustling for the boards. I want to see our Biggs hustling and going super aggressive for those rebounds. Added possessions means added chances for us to score. We're not a good defensive team. Got to get some extra possessions. Somehow we're not causing many turnovers, and the ones we do are pretty lucky. Yeah, I think I think we should be crashing the boards a little harder. Is there any uh, 
Denver Nugget outside of Emmanuel that you would be interested in having? I don't know enough about their young bigs. They have like three bigs. All I, I texted you. I was like, Sage, I can't tell these dudes apart. I, hey, I let you know. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe, maybe one of those bigs. But you know, while Denver had the rebounding advantage, we had CJ McCollum, mm-hmm. and he was the best player on the court in both of those games. Uh, in the game in Portland, he had twenty nine points on twelve of nineteen shooting, three of six from deep. His hesitation dribble was unstoppable. So nasty. He followed, he followed that up with a 25-point outing in Denver on 17 shots, dished out seven assists, and there was a quote from Michael Malone, the Denver Nuggets head coach, that said, we have no answers for him. We can't guard him. He gets to wherever he wants to go. He shoots the ball, and he gets open looks. Where have we heard that from before? I believe in Memphis. Exactly. Dave Yeager. We have a C.J. McCollum problem. That guy's hesitation dribble the way he's able to pull up for mid-range or scoop and score, his repertoire on offense is simply amazing for a third-year player. And really only getting his the second year of getting great minutes. So Portland has got a gem in CJ, and it's, it's just a joy to watch. He reminds me a little bit of... B-Roy in the way that he can get to the basket any way he wants and just his herky-jerky because he's, he's not going to dunk on anybody. He's just very crafty around the rim. He's got that great mid-range jumper. I think he's got a better three-point shot than Brandon um, ever had. Um, B-Roy obviously did some things better, but I just think in their, their mannerisms on the floor, that's what he reminds me of. And I think the best part about that, that Denver game, the second one, was the, the interview that Damian Lillard oh, conducted. Yeah with CJ and Hendo. So you can tell these guys love playing with each other. You know, Dame's, he's just the best. Like, that's a great interview. Just being himself, both guys being themselves. I, I enjoyed it. That was the highlight of the night for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, I mean, Dame's charisma is just fantastic. It it explains to me how he became a shoe-endorsed athlete so quickly. He is a marketer's dream. He's a PR man's dream. You could tell that he is a really cool guy. You would like to have a beer with him or something, like hang out with him. Buster Freestyle. (laughs) Damien, I will cipher with you on this podcast. And I don't rap anymore, but I will cipher with you anytime, my friend. Produce some beats for him. Dude. For Dame Dalla. Yo, his ear is fantastic. I mean, a lot of things Dame does is fantastic, but you're completely right. He's so marketable. Mm -hmm. You look at Dame, and I I truly believe he's got the best-looking shoe of the bunch, but you look look at Dame compared to D-Rose, John Wall, who both have signature shoes with Adidas or have in the past, uh, Kyrie with Nike, and then Steph Curry with Under Armour. I think Dame's shoes, I just see them all the time, like just from other, other outlets, like talking about them, like nice kicks. Or you know one of those you know publications, and he he may not be as big of a name basketball wise, but people maybe outside of the, the the hoops community they know who he is and they like his shoe, and he's done a great job of hitting his fan base in Portland, and now we're all talking about it because he got the core of his fans involved. You know he did the the My Adidas, the design the home and away. Like how cool is that? Like if you're a fan. And you design a shoe that Damien wears. 
it's just genius. So it's genius on all parties. Adidas, his his uh, agency, and you know Dame as well, because from all accounts, he has his hands you know really deep into uh, his own shoes. And you know, I'm personally going to break out the Lillard twos tomorrow for my city league game. So I can't wait to do that. Oh snap! You're doing some city league ball. Oh, city league ball. Yep, just you know, three and D. Less on the D, more on the three. Yeah, I, I mean. I mean, we could critique each other's games, but this man is very deadly when he has some space. I also probably need to start playing with glasses, too. Oh, man. <laughs> it's getting to the point, like, I'm getting pretty old. I'm in a gym. I can still, just because I shot the ball first, you know, for 22 years, 24 years, I kind of know how far it is to shoot from the three-point line to the hoop. But I put my glasses on, I'm like, oh, the rim looks so much more <laughs> Because I don't have a pair of contacts, but I also don't want to, like, take an elbow to the face, and I've got, you know, like, glass shrapnel all in my eye. So, you know, it's it's a trade-off. Re- okay. Remember when I was guarding that humongous dude at the North Park Blocks, and he lowered his shoulder on me, and I literally went flying in the air. My glasses fell off. Oh, so, for for those of you listening and have never seen my friend, Sage, he is a large dude in terms of just strength. Like, he is a big dude. Hey. This guy who, he maybe was one and a half times bigger than you. That's like, he, he was just, like, both, I mean, you're talking about a brick wall and a Mack truck. What's going to give? Um, so you were the brick wall on this one, my friend. He, oh, he I was got a bodied. Mack truck, and it was, I mean, you, you did, but you took it like a champ. I think we ended up winning that game. And that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, but we had Shalmar. What it's all about, taking one from the team. I believe we called our We had Shalmar and Eni Akpan talking mad stuff on the sidelines, saying I got demolished and clobbered while I was flying through the air without my glasses on. I'd really like to see those two step in front of Big Chris. Dude. So, yeah, that I'm like the low-budget version of, I guess I'd like to say David West. I think my game's very David Westy. Yeah, I'm going to go Kyle Quinn, but okay. Oh, thanks. I get mad rebounds and annoy Blazer fans. <laughs> All right. All right. Back on topic just a little bit. What do you think about Gerald Henderson? What do you think about him as a trailblazer? I know he had 19 points off the bench in that different game. He's actually 6 of 8 from the free throw line as well, so he can't get to the, 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 he can't get to the strike. I feel like he takes some of the most – What's the word I'm looking for? Out of the offense shots of anybody on this roster. I feel like he really wants to start, and he's trying to showcase himself. Am I the only one picking up on this? Or oh, I think he definitely wants to. He wants the starters minutes, and in his head, he thinks he is the, should be the starting three. He wants to, when he's in, he tries to show people that they're, that that's, the coach was wrong in having someone else start. So he goes all out. Doesn't play within the offense. Does whatever he wants. I think he is. He does not mesh with the Blazers as they are right now. If it was last year, it would have been great. I think the plan is they're shipping him off at the trade deadline. And people may be upset about that, but what I see is someone who's not willing to work in the system. And if there's a buyer, we sell. And I think if you can only get a second-round pick for him, you get the second-round pick because, they're, like we talked about earlier, there's a guy like Gary Payton II at Oregon State who's projected to be a second-round pick. 
Uh, you can find those gems. Neil Volshay used plenty of second-round picks, so we need to start replenishing that stock. Came in as another one. Like, you, these guys are not going to be on the roster next year, so we need to get something of value for either player. Uh, lastly, Portland dropped a game in Utah in which the second quarter just completely demolished any hope of beating the the injury riddled Jazz. You know they outscored us thirty two to fourteen in that game on their way to a one hundred nine ninety six uh, victory. You know McCollum had thirty two points. He got off slow. Really, I thought was going to have a chance to bring us back. He got into one of those zones where it was, you know, like watching B-Roy, vintage, you know, B-Roy uh, game. You, just, you know he's shooting, can't stop it. But there was too many turnovers. Utah had 24-0 points off turnovers. Uh, Portland had 10 first-half turnovers. Utah was going to go the first half without a turnover until they had that uh, three seconds in the key at the very end of the, the first half. It was That was the game where I kind of thought – we should not make them pass. Like, if we do, I'm going to be all in, and I'm going to root for the team. But you go to Utah after handling the the Nuggets. You're on a, I believe it was a three-game winning streak at the time. They're without favors, Gobert, Burks, and Exum, and you lay that stinker. That's not a playoff team type of performance. And, you know, you can still root for the team to win, but I don't think think it's going to get any better if you're playing a team like Golden State or San Antonio in the first round. Via text, you and I went through the top 40 free agents, and we got to player 35 before you said that guy might be willing to come to Portland via free agency. And that's without, like, obviously Kevin Durant is a big yes. LeBron James is a big yes. Chances of those happening, less than a percent. So, you know, you have to find a player who's either willing to come to Portland for a good contract. And just because the salary cap is going to boom, doesn't mean you just want to shell out buku bucks on average talent. It's still all about money ball and finding players who are going to perform probably for less than their, you know, they're going to outperform their value. Yeah. So free agency is going to be tough to, to add talent to. So that's why I think the draft is such a great avenue to do that. And, when you've got players like Chris Dunn from Providence, Buddy Heald from Oklahoma, who had 46 in that incredible triple overtime thriller versus Kansas, you, you know, you've got um, Jakob Podol at Utah, so you're starting to see these upperclassmen perform well, which is great for a team like Portland, who's probably going to hover around 7 to 10 going into the lottery. Those type of players will push players back our, our way. Um, maybe some underclassmen that we're looking at, or maybe we're looking at one of the separate classmen. Either way, the more talented the lottery pool, not only is a better chance Portland gets a good player, but it also means that pick holds more value. So if Portland decides, hey, we can get a 22-year-old stud for this number 10 pick, let's go and do it because Dame's 25, CJ's 24, etc., etc. But what is it, Sage? And we we called it. Trey Burke was the X factor. Why in the hell does that guy only play good against us? 27 points on 12 of 19 shooting in 29 minutes, it felt like he couldn't miss, and when he did, it was a minor miracle. <laughs> well, I feel like he's mad that we didn't draft him in the draft. I have no idea why he does well against us, but it, it happens, so we have to take notice of Well, But what... he was picked before we took <laughs> CJ. He went one pick ahead of us, so we had no chance at picking him. 
I remember during the uh, the Blazers draft party that I was at, they got they confused Trey Burke with CJ McCollum for the pick, and the whole Buffalo Wild Wings got very upset. So maybe he's mad about that. I don't know why he does well against us. There's just certain random players that do well against certain teams. I have no explanation of why Beno Udra kicks the Blazers' butt, but he does. You can be, you can predict as much as you can, but sometimes the matchup is just in the other person's favor to score. Yeah, I think every team just has those killers. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's Ben Exel, Bano, uh, Tyron Liu, now it's Trey Burke. It's just annoying. Mm-hmm. It's just you've got this bench player whose eyes light up when they see your team on the schedule, and you know we had no answer. And I guess that goes back to your point: we had no defensive stopper that was going to say, "Hey." This ends now. You're going to quit scoring on us and quit getting such wide open looks. And, you know, had we just stopped Stray Burke, we beat the Jazz, and we're on our fourth straight win, beat Denver, that's five. You know, you go into that Memphis game, maybe something different happens. Either way, the Trailblazers are 15 and 22 and are ninth in the West. They would have been eight, or they would have been 10th, but the Kings just choked away a seven point lead with a minute to go in double overtime in Dallas. Uh, Darren Williams had a game-winning three at the buzzer. So the Blazers are now sitting at ninth. They are still two games out of eighth, but they're also two games out of 13th. So a lot can can happen. But, man, the, the bottom of the West is terrible. Phoenix is tanking like none other. I was stupid, and I wanted to watch more basketball. And I watched the Lakers-Suns game after the Blazers. My God. God, I feel so sorry for Brandon Knight. Because everyone else seems to be resigned to the fact that they are tanking. But I saw Brandon Knight hustling, getting rebounds, playing good lockdown defense. I don't think he's got the message. This team might not be that good. I see Tyson Chandler intentionally getting technicals just to sit on the bench. It, it, they, they do tanking the way the Sixers wish they could do tanking. You know, I think that's the bad type of tanking. I think tanking in general gets a negative connotation attached to it. I think the way the Suns are going about it is is probably doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Even if, let's say you do get Ben Simmons. Yes, that is fantastic. Bringing him inside that locker room where you've got people throwing towels at coaches, management, really who doesn't know how to run a ship. Sarver has sold picks that have ended up being Luol Deng, Rudy Fernandez, and Rajon Rondo. Uh, the guy has been a terrible GM for, for some time. And then you've got just a bunch of guys. They don't have a good collection of talent. It, it just So, yeah, you get Simmons. That's a good starting block. But you're going to have to strip away a lot of layers of paint for that franchise mm-hmm. to start being relevant again. Um, I think it's a little bit different when you've got a team like Minnesota, who they start Garnett, they start Tayshaun Prince for the majority of the season. They give their young guys minutes. Uh, they brought in Andre Miller as a backup. They're doing it the right way. They're just not very good, but they're not going to try to do that extra, you know, go the extra mile to get that extra win. Like, they don't need that right now. So I think there's two different ways to go about rebuilding a franchise. Sun's not looking so hot. I would look more at the Timberwolves. Um mantra and method and even the Sixers are starting to take notice and they they brought in Elton Brand they yeah, needed they, they traded they for Ish Smith too did you see yeah. he is playing 
fantastic basketball. And it's really irritating that he's playing so much better in Philadelphia than he did in New Orleans. But he's dishing the ball to Noel. He's getting Jaleel Okafor involved. My boo, Jeremy Grants, is the starter. The only player that's had a negative impact from Ish Smith getting there is Robert Covington, whose confidence is gone. And I think Philadelphia, they're taking the right steps, but I think they are a cluster as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, have, have you seen the stories coming out about Jaleel Okafor's father berating Brett Brown behind the bench and Kendall Marshall's dad mm-hmm. tweeting just, just, just a whole bunch of trash? about the team, and Nick Stauskas in particular. First off, I wanna, I'm I a ask, fan of Nick Stauskas. Hold, hold on, I want to ask you a question. If you are in Jaleel Okafor's shoes, so say you just won a championship at Duke, you know, you're 20-year-old Sage, and you just got picked up by the Sixers, and oh. your dad or your mom lives with you in the city in Philadelphia. If they're talking like that to the coach, what do you do? Because I know what I would do. What, do. what would you do? From all things that I've heard that... that uh, I believe it's Chucky, Chucky Okafor is saying, I, I say, Dad, you either stop coming to games or you just be positive. Because the team is already, they are already are losers. They feel like they're losers. They've got adjusted to losing. Uh, it's acceptable for them to lose. It's just, it, it happens. It's, they're in their culture now. His antics and language and overall negative energy only add to that fire. It only fuels it. You need some positive fire. Cheer your son on for Pete's sake. Like, whatever happened to that? Like, this isn't AAU basketball. This isn't high school. This isn't college. You don't dictate how many minutes your son plays, how many plays get run for him. This is not how it goes. I know Coach K wouldn't have stood for this, and I think Brett Brown, if it continues, if Jaleel Okafor doesn't handle it, he needs to say you need to not be allowed to go to our games until you can act up or until you can start acting right. You know, treat him like a child. Say, this is a privilege to be in this seat just because your Jaws father doesn't give you the right to act like a child. What I don't like more is uh, Kendall Marshall's father bringing race into it and blatantly disrespecting players that are ahead of him on the depth chart. And I've watched Kendall Marshall, and I've watched TJ McCall, and I've watched Nick Staustis. They are superior players to Kendall Marshall. Well... There's a reason Kendall Marshall has, what, bounced around like 16? Yeah, yeah. You know, Suns, Lakers, Bucks, Sixers, that's four. I think he's on some other team and just not getting any playing time. I don't think race has anything to do with it. Stauskas is a second-year player who was a lottery pick, so there is still potential there that has to be seen. Kendall Marshall's had plenty of chances to play. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a lottery pick as well, but coming into the draft, he was a slow point guard who couldn't shoot. He's still a slow point guard that can't shoot. He's a funny follow on Twitter and Instagram, but he can't shoot. He's a fantastic passer, but when your weaknesses don't ever improve, you don't improve. Mm-hmm. I, question. Has a family member of a Blazer player ever affected the locker room? Because I've got plenty of stories. Being a Pelicans fan, CJ Paul, Chris Paul's brother, mm-hmm. was awful. And really helped set up that trade to uh, the Lakers. Tyreek's brother is talking mad crap. And I'm wondering, has a Blazers sibling or father or mother ever got between the player and the team? You know, maybe somebody listening out there can remember. I 
I can't think of anything. Either they've done a great job covering it up or it just hasn't happened. I think with Portland, the one thing that gets in the way of everything is the media. Mm. Which I mean, we're a part of now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking about like the beat writers and the ones who are there just for page views and to stir the pot and getting fans to turn on their star players. It happens you know, time and time again, and it seems like they never want to write anything positive about the team. So I think the media, more so than uh, a player's um, sibling or parent, has had more, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, because that, that is a very delicate situation you have to maneuver as a, as a teammate, as a, a fan. You can't really attack their family because it's their family. They'll attack back for the people they love. You're 100% right, but at the same time, you're getting paid millions of dollars to do a job. And you got to think, okay, I'm a, I'm a cashier. I got my, my dad just berating my manager because he's not giving me the shift I want. I mean, I know it's on different levels, but at the same point, it's still principle. You know, let your son fight his own battles. He is a grown man now. He's already won a national championship at Duke, going to the NBA. Kendall Marshall has been around the NBA. I'm sure he lives on his own. Let, let them be adults now. Let's not... Let's take off off the off the bandaid and just let them let them roam. Oh, so enough enough six talk. That kind of actually got me going a little bit. I'd be hey, really, it got me. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel bad for Brett Brown. He has been dealt a crap hand, and he's really doing the best he can. He doesn't need uh, you know, any more people talking trash to him. But it is a new year. Could it be a new sage? What are some of your personal and hoops, New Year's resolutions. All right. Well, I I have to get into girl talk before I can explain why. So I went on a date with a girl, and I told her about the podcast and all that stuff. But she asked, like on the second date, what what do I do on a normal day? And I explained that I work and go to school from about eight in the morning to three three thirty, and then when I get home. It's basketball from 4 to about 10 p.m. every day. And the look on her face was disappointment and (laughs) disgust that I watched that much basketball every day. One of my New Year's resolutions is to not get embarrassed when I talk about how much basketball I watch in a given day. My real, like my other two are to leave the toilet seat up more and I need a new pair of glasses because these are the same glasses that I got uh, demolished in Portland playing basketball. So I, Wait, I, Did you just say leave the toilet seat up? Do whatever's proper with the toilet seat. That's putting it down. Putting it down, whatever. So you put it up to go to the bathroom, you put it down when you're done. Yes, so that's, yes okay. I don't do that though much. So... I, I wanted to take realistic steps towards growing that's, up. That's good. Yeah. So what are your resolutions? Well, well, first of all, you'll know you found true love when you say you watch basketball from 4 to 10, and she says, what time can I come over? You know, I want to watch my team play, too. <laughs> yes. So I, that's when you know you found the one. So you may, she probably just wasn't the one. Oh, definitely not. I'm uh, a very single man, except there may be a few women out there that are upset that I just said that. But they don't they won't want to listen to this cuz I talk about basketball. So it's good. So 
one of my New Year's resolutions is to save more money. Olga and I are looking to buy a house in the near future, so to put away as much money as I can. I feel like that's a pretty attainable one. Um, doesn't take too much physical effort. It takes a lot of mental effort. I love shopping. I, I love... He is the just- fly guy etiquette life, that FGE. You know, I definitely love buying stuff. Uh, makes me feel good inside. Uh, can't wait to take it home, look at it. Uh, and, you know, with the Blazers and, and the Ducks, there's so much stuff out there that I don't have, too. So it's always there. So that, that's actually really tough mentally to do. So I'm going to try to save more. I felt like I saved well in 2015, but I'm going to take the next level. Um, it's probably a sixth man saving it in 2015. It's time to be a starter in 2016. Next resolution... Just to be more healthy. You know, I turned 30 last year. I still feel like I look young. I feel young, but I want to, you know, stay in shape. So whether that's staying active for 20 minutes a day, running a couple miles, I eventually would love to run Hood to Coast in August. My, my work does Hood to Coast every year. It's a big deal. It seems so much fun. And I've just always been terrible at running. I hate it. But I, that's just one thing I want to do. It's kind of like to check it off my bucket list. Done this. Probably would never want to do it again, but just to get it what off my it? list. What is it? Hood the Coast, I believe. It starts at Mount Hood and you go all the way to Seaside. It's a weekend relay, so each team member runs three legs um, at different times of the day. I think it can range between three to seven miles. And if you could see the look on my man's face right now, he just wants no part of that. And uh, that's probably my look as well. But again, it, they, it just seems so fun. Every, every Monday they come back from it and you hear all the fun stories they had. It's like, I don't want to be a part of that. They do it every I, week? No. It, well, you've never heard of Hood the Coast? No, I haven't. Obviously I haven't. <laughs> oh, Sage, no. It's like the last weekend in August. Oh, okay. Actually, you every week? No, I'm not running that much. I can barely run two miles without, you know, so I'm trying to build up my endurance. <laughs> All right. Do you have another one? Um, I think just to continue to eat healthier. Mm. I, I got a, your, your boy's got a big time sweet tooth. He, yo, he really does. I've, uh, we've been buds for about four years and every time I come, go to your house, there is some sort of baked good or ice cream or a combination of the two like at at the crib very easy to get so i applaud your efforts to get healthier and exactly since we are buds and i tried very hard not to troll you during that ducks game is there anything you would like to say about that ducks game no i will never speak of that game ever again that game didn't happen okay I was actually talking to somebody at work who, uh, who went to U of O, was an alum, and we always we usually talk about, talk about the Duck games, and she was like, so how was your new year? And I was like, you know, it was good, except for that thing that, you know, never happened. She was like, I know. Um, so we kind of got each other on, on that. But it was really nice, though. The Blazers, I believe, oh, no, we beat the Nuggets when we lost the Jazz. So the, the, the Jazz had came back and just destroyed us. The Ducks blew that massive lead, but... It snowed on Sunday, and for whatever reason, I completely forgot about football for a day, and I was eight years old again, in my backyard, throwing snowballs, playing in the snow. Uh, it, we walked, Olga and I walked like for like two or three hours in the snow on Sunday, so that was just fantastic. We didn't get any snow last year, so 
the snow is actually a very, very great um, remedy for, for a painful loss. But outside of personal resolutions, is there anything you would love to see your Blazers or your Pelicans do differently in the new year? Oh, I, I would like both teams to play defense better. Um, I would love for both teams to make trades. Uh, Tyreek for the Pelicans. Gerald Henderson, Chris Kamen. I wouldn't mind Myers Leonard getting traded to a team. Like the magic for Channing Fry in a first round pick. Man, you've been harping on that deal for a while. So if it comes That's to the food, first time I've said it on the podcast. Yeah, so. but you've been texting quite a bit about that one. So uh, if that comes to fruition, I'm, I'm gonna give genius. you major dap for that. Uh, that's Nostradamus type yeah. stuff. Sage Adamus, bro. Okay. You do have the shirt on, so I'll give you that. <laughs> Nasty Nost Espo to Escobar. Now he is Nostradamus. Is there anything you would like to see from your Portland Trailblazers? I want to see if Lillard and McCollum can play together. I think that's the big one. Otherwise, you need to move C.J. Wall's values high. Again, not advocating for moving McCollum. I know people are talking about it. I want to keep him, but I need to see if those two can play together long-term. Fourth quarter minutes for Noah Vonley is a huge one, and I want a lottery pick for this franchise because either they could trade it for a, a good player or they could continue to restock, you know, the youth. Mm-hmm. You can never have too many good young players. And if you look at teams, I'll throw out the early 90s Blazers. If you look at teams who have great runs and why they all of a sudden fall off, it's because either A, they traded a young player, they had no business trading, or B, they just completely forgot how to draft. And in Portland's cases, they had both. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they decided to trade Drazen Petrovic, for Walter Davis, you know, Petro did tragically die. Had he not, he was on the all NBA stardom. He was already an all-star in his second year in New Jersey. So when the 93 season hit, when you've got Drexler and Kersey, you know, a little banged up Duckworth, a little bit past his prime, you throw in Drazen Petrovic with Rod Strickland and Cliff Robinson, that team still continues to compete. Uh, then they also forgot to draft. They took all Abdul Nabi, uh, Byron Irvin, uh, who else? I mean, they just continued to miss and miss. So they were hitting those late-round picks with uh, you know, Porter and Kersey and Cliff. They started missing on them. And it's very hard to continue to hit on where they were picking because they, they kept you know, going to the finals. But that's why people always say, oh, we don't need another young player. I always will bring back that point and say, yes, you do. You always need, need an influx play. of new talent. Exactly. Because, I mean, it's just like college football. You always need those recruits to come in. Mm-hmm. Ducks lose players, but it's okay. You've got next man up. They're ready to go. That's how it has to be in sports. You know, Dame's not going to be able to play for 15 more years at this level. Uh, you always have to continue to, to have talented roster. So that's mine. I really want a good draft pick for this Blazers team. And speaking of the Blazers, as we always do, I really thought that last week was their week to shine. Um, they've had They've had two of those weeks, and I believe – it was in that early road trip when they played Cleveland and Milwaukee. Um, they didn't do so well in those games. And then they had this, this four-game stretch against Memphis, Denver twice, and Utah. Thought they could have won four of, four of those games. They probably should have. So you look at the schedule, and they're running out of opportunities to really make a leap in the standings. You know, whether you're pro or con playoffs, the team's going to continue to play 
that's their goal. They said that in preseason. Actually, they said that in the summer, that their goal never wavers. It's always the playoffs. So we look at the Blazers, and they have played the most road games of any team, I, I believe, with the Lakers as well. If I'm looking at the standings right now, the Lakers have played 22 road games. Portland's played 22. They both have played 22 games. So there's only 19 left. So they're going to get a lot of home cooking in the new year. The problem is they have to start protecting that home court. It hasn't been the usual Blazer Maniac home court advantage not because the crowd hasn't been loud. I'm still surprised it was nearly sold out considering the weather was so piss poor on Monday and the Blazers were sub 500, but that just goes to show you how diehard the fans are here at Rip City. You know, they're, they're only eight and seven at home. So when you start looking at the schedule and you see a bunch of home games, yeah, it's good to be at home, but you have to win those games. I, I remember reading something that said in the current in where basketball is at now, the advantage of home court isn't as much as it was in the early 2000s. So, I mean, it's just an example of you got the players have to play. It isn't home court is not going to magically make everyone play better. The role players might, but our core players have to play well. Why do you think that is? Why do you think home court doesn't mean as much? Because I would counter that it does when the team is elite. Yeah. You look at... But the information wasn't like the elite teams. It was the average. And I've been seeing that. I have noticed that trend as well. But then you're also looking at, you know, you're like, hey, the Warriors are 17-0 at home. The Spurs are 20-0 at home. Cavs are 15-1 at home. But they are. That's home court court dominance at its its epitome right there. But I do see your point. Teams like Utah and Portland, uh, Memphis, Dallas, you know, they're, the chances of winning at home may be 5% better at, than on the road, so it's not as big of a difference. But I think when you're elite and you've got those crowds behind you, especially in Golden State, you know, I, I, I think right now if Portland was 32-2, and two, oh, the start would be jumping. Every, it would be like game six of the playoffs, game seven, every single night. And that's just what it was. So I, I think it has a lot to do with the fan base, too. And I, I, I think with rising cost of tickets, you're not getting that rabid fan. So unfortunately, it's not as loud as it would be in more arenas. But, you know, the special arenas are going to be special when the teams are special. Um, but, yeah, in general, home court doesn't mean as much. But it will be good to be home for the Trailblazers Although it's going to be rough sledding. There's yeah, next... some big boy teams that we're facing. In the you know, very, the, the biggest of the big boy teams comes to town. You know, you've got three of, you know, we mentioned three of the top four teams in the West. Probably you could say three of the top five teams in the entire NBA on the next three games. Portland is in the midst of a five-game homestand. They started with that loss in Memphis, and they ended up um, – against Utah on the 13th, but for the sake of this podcast, we go Monday to Monday. The Trailblazers have the Clippers tomorrow night at 7, Friday against the defending champion Golden State Warriors at 7, and then what's, what's a weekend roundup with, a Golden, with a Oklahoma City at 6? That is Murderer's Row, if you could put Murderer's Row in the NBA. <laughs> It's, I mean, where, where, do you, where do you even start? I guess let's go with the Clippers. They 
they're actually looking like they're starting to to figure things out. Um, I know Blake Griffin has been out since after uh, Christmas with that quad, but they sure haven't missed a beat. Um, Chris Paul's six, playing motivated, man. Exactly. You know, six straight wins. They just swept a five-game road strip, beating the Lakers, the Jazz, the Wizards, the Hornets, and the Pelicans. You know, say what you want about those five teams. Maybe two of them will make the playoffs. I don't think people realize how difficult it is to sweep a five-game road trip with arguably the best player. Mm-hmm. But I think what they're doing is putting players in positions to succeed, and Chris Paul has took it, took it to another level. He's playing aggressive. He's shooting more. He's dishing it to players in spots that they're very comfortable in. J.J. Reddick's running through screen around screens. Paul Pierce is hitting open threes. They're hitting on a lot of levels without Blake Griffin, who happens to be arguably their best player. So I think they're all just in a groove right now, and it, it, it's unfortunate that we get to play them. Do you think it was a wake-up call that Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin getting hurt for the Clippers? I think it was a wake-up call to Chris Paul. Because motivated Chris Paul is tough to beat, man. He's very tough to beat. <laughs> uh, but he, he has those lapses, and it, it's kind of, you know, baffling. You know, you look at his last 10 games, 20 points, 10 assists, 4 steals, 4 rebounds, 2 steals. Against Portland, though, 11 points, 7 assists. So you don't know what Chris Paul you're going to get. Usually he gets the better of Damian Lillard, not so much this year. But without Blake, you know, he goes into scoring Chris Paul. And we've said on this podcast before during our Western Conference preview, the Clippers are a better team when he is aggressive and looks mm-hmm. to score. He can get to the mid-range, he can get to the 10 to 15 foot, uh, spot on the court at will. And he's got one of the most underrated mid-range jump shots mm-hmm. in the game. He's still, crafty, he's still crafty as hell to get to the cup. And teams are going to be afraid to double him or send help because they know he's got eyes in the back of his head and he's going to find the open shooter. And they've got shooters for days. So if they could ever figure it out and put this together, if Chris Paul could keep this switch on for the entire season, they could be a championship contender. But the question still remains, can they? I would bet on it because it hasn't happened yet. Sometimes seeing is believing and sometimes believing is seeing. For me with the Clippers, I need to see it before I believe it. Mm. And Yeah, they're playing better, but... Chris Paul has never made it to the third round for a reason. He's not the most clutch player in clutch times. He's one of the best point guards ever, but in crucial moments, he makes some really silly mistakes. You know, you look back. Did I? Did I? Tr- I tried so hard not to sound bitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's kind of like the Dominique Wilkins of mm-hmm. of point guards. You know, Dominique for what Chris Paul does passing the ball, Dominique did. Scoring the ball, he was the human highlight film. He never got to the conference finals, but he's still going to be a Hall of Fame player. Mm-hmm. Same thing's going to be with Chris Paul. Um, you know, you look back at the last two meetings because they've already, the teams have already played twice, splitting each game. Uh, Portland won one hundred two ninety one back on the twentieth of November in Portland. That actually ended Portland's seven game losing streak at the time. Uh, Damon CJ combined for forty five points. Uh, Lillard had 27, McCollum had 18. That was that monster game by Ed Davis. He had the the 17-15 with 10 of those boards on the offensive end. Portland just beat up the Clippers during that game on the glass. 55-42 was plus 7 on the offensive boards. 
And if I remember that game correctly, that was just the Clippers just did not seem interested in playing that yeah, game. Yeah, Chris Paul deferred a lot to Austin Rivers, and, and Portland wanted it. And you could tell, you know, Ed Davis is a fantastic rebounder. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He's one of my favorite players. But when you're going up against Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, and you're getting those numbers, a little bit of it has to go with they just they didn't want to be there at the time, mm-hmm. and that's fine. If they're not going to show up, we needed to take it from them, and that's what we did. Um, However, we, we did see the better side of the Clippers uh, just 10 days later in Los Angeles. They handed Portland probably their first blowout loss of the mm-hmm. season. It was a 102-87 victory. Uh, I remember that game just being disgusted, watching Terry Stotts go hack a DeAndre Jordan. He oh, took that was 30... some classless stuff. Or... Yeah, he took 34 free throws. Um, DJ, DJ ended up with a monster night, 18 points and 24 boards. But I don't want to see that again you know uh, thankfully i have a a double header in, in city league basketball that night so i will get to see the first half um and i'll definitely tape the second half and come home and watch it but you know if i see a bunch of hack of jordan i'm just going to fast forward to that dvr because i don't want to watch it if it's not working you know if we're scoring on the other end fine go ahead foul him but if we're bricking it shot after shot i don't want to see us foul him like that's that's not basketball to me it's working go ahead do it just to do it, you know, you know, kick rocks with that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of petty. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of it because it's a very interesting strategy, and usually it works. I mean, if DeAndre Jordan's a 40% free throw shooter and misses one, that's a successful possession that they have one, that they scored one point in a possession. It's a successful venture. But when you do it just to do it, it's very annoying. It was taking up a lot of time. I, I know fans were excited to see it, but... As someone, though... Wait, were they, though? I saw a lot of response on Twitter thinking that was so cool. Yeah, but I think that was a lot of Blazer fans being salty. We were getting our teeth kicked in yeah. by the Clippers. Yeah. And I've, I've been there before. I've been salty and just, like, wanted to do it just to piss off the other team. And that's all it was. But it, taking a step back and looking at it, it's petty. Yeah, it's very it petty. petty. And I hope we don't do it in front of the home fans. But this will be a game decided at the free throw line. In wins... The Clippers shoot 30 free throws. In losses, they shoot about 24 and a half. In general, they're, they're, they're second in the NBA in free throw attempts. They take 27.8 per game. However, they are the third worst team at the stripe. They only hit at a 69% clip. If Portland can, one, get there more often, so be aggressive, attack, attack DeAndre, and they are going to go smaller with Blake Griffin out of there, and two, just be more efficient at the line, they could win this game. Because Wesley Johnson was starting for Blake Griffin, but he's questionable with with a foot injury. Um, they really don't have another power forward. They could go Josh Smith. They well, could why go. Would they do that. Exactly. I mean, Lance Stevenson could probably play some four for them because Paul they Pierce. don't have another. They just don't have another four. Yeah, Paul Pierce. So, yeah, Paul Pierce. He's actually my X factor in that game. And it's, it's not because of what he's done against the Blazers this season. It's, I mean, he was a DMP in the first game, and he only scored three points in 14 minutes in the second. But I still remember him busting five three-pointers and scoring 19 in that preseason comeback where we, we had him up 35, and we blew it away. He hasn't played um, this year. He rested uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers, so he's had about a week week of rest. He's going to be refreshed. He'll be ready to go. It's not a back-to-back. The Clippers have been off since Saturday. I really hate the Clippers, Sage, but I, you've got to feel like 
Portland already got their one versus the Clippers at home this year. I think there are still kinks to be worked out. I, I know they don't like how they played against the Grizzlies. Portland's just going to have to share the ball more than they did. They went way too much ISO. I think the Clippers are, are at that point of the season where they're like, okay, it's it's time to show up, time to like Chris Paul's motivated. I've got the Clippers, but I think it's going to be a very close, highly contested game. I'm my X factor is Chris Paul. I want to see what what type of Chris Paul we see. If it's the deferring Chris Paul, I think the Blazers have a fantastic chance. But if he's aggressive and wanting to score, play really tough defense, steal the ball, uh, it's it's going to be the Clippers. So the X factor is Chris Paul and how he's feeling today. You know, moving on from the Clippers, the, the the defending champion Golden State Warriors make their first appearance in the Rose City this year. It's the first matchup between these two teams in the regular season. Off the bat, who is the second best Golden State Warriors? I was watching NBA Coast to Coast tonight, and they were debating Clay or Draymond. It's Draymond. Got, yes, I completely agree. I have a huge. He's a problem. You know, Huge. I don't even know where I again. I'm looking for the word I'm trying to think for. I strongly agree that it is Draymond. Like I don't even think it's close. Yeah. I think Chris Broussard was trying to say it's close. It's not even close. They they won those but, first 24 games with Clay Thompson doing absolutely nothing. Do you trust Chris Broussard's basketball knowledge? No. It, it's no. Draymond. It's his defense, and it's his the game. It's his isn't, ev- yeah. It's it's not just about pure scoring. It's about everything. And he provides everything for that team. If I were to say Draymond Green is the best power forward in the game, what would you say? I'd say there's an argument to be made for that. Um, He's at least top three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does everything for that team. He has a problem. I don't think Blazers can solve it. You know... You look at his last three games. Triple dubs. Three straight triple dubs. Let's look at this. I'm looking at the box score tonight against Lakers. He probably didn't need a triple double to beat the Lakers. Did he get one? And, no, he was somewhat close. He had nine points, 12 boards, and five assists. But again, he only played 28 minutes because they absolutely curb stomped the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 109 to 88. Uh, so they moved to 33-2 and two on the season before they, they face the Trailblazers. But those three games prior, against the Rockets, he goes for 10 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. Against the Nuggets, 29 points, 14 assists, 17 boards, 4 steals a block. Against the Hornets, 13 points, 10 assists, 15 rebounds, 1 steal, and 2 blocks. That is insane. Mm-hmm. Just I'm looking at the numbers, and I... The assists are jumping out at me. Yeah. Those are Chris Paul in his prime type assists. Yep. And his ability to pass the ball is what makes this team, in my opinion, truly unstoppable. Because you, the answer to beating the Warriors was to beat up Curry and send traps and send doubles and get the ball out of his hands. Well, what's he going to do? He's going to get it to Draymond Green at the top of the key, and they're going to play small ball, and he's going to dish it out to either a cutter or a wide-open shooter. And can we... I know this is a Blazers podcast, but people need to stop saying he plays center. He plays it like five minutes a game. That does not count. People saying Paul George is a power forward. He plays that five minutes a game. He is not a power forward. The majority of his minutes are at the three or the four. He is not a center. Don't confuse it. That's really lazy. He plays most of his minutes there. 
Can you remember a player, and I know we're talking a lot about Draymond, but I, frankly, he deserves it. He deserves it. But I don't you, like him. I, I don't like his personality that much, but damn, he is a good well, basketballer. If he was on the players, I would, you would love him. him. We would love him. Hard. Yeah. But can you remember a player who was not only a second-round pick, but has shown the type of development from year after year after year, from where he was two years ago to where he is now? I, I can't think of that no. player. Maybe in three years, it's incredible what he's doing. I think what the Blazers should do is try and find a type of guy that uh, can give you 70 to 80% of what Draymond does. I think that's a smart move for the future of uh, the team. And there's you definitely know, high, a few. High, there's high some hybrids. players like, like Draymond are where the league's going. You've got to be able to do a little bit of everything. And... You know, he, he was my X factor for that game just because of that reason. And I don't know, what, what, what is the strategy to stop the Warrior Sage? Is it get the ball to Curry's hands? Is it just hope and pray they miss shots? It's not a playoff series, so it's just one game. So that, you know, you could just say, hey, we're not going to let you beat, beat us inside. But I don't know, or at least maybe it's not been solved yet. How do you stop the Golden State Warriors? The When coaches tell players, you don't leave Stephen Curry. You know what he does? He sets a pick, and a really strong pick on Draymond or Clay. Frees him up. And the coach tells uh, whoever's guarding Curry, don't leave him. And then the person that's getting picked stays on Curry. And that leaves whoever he picked to do a baseline cut to the basket for an easy layup. It happens a lot in the game. So I, I truly don't know how to stop him, but I think... You have to have a very smart IQ team, which I don't know if the Blazers have. I think every NBA player knows more than you and I, but compared to Chris Paul or Draymond Green, they aren't as smart. So I think it what you need to stop them is a team of intelligent basketball players that know their scheme perfectly and can play fantastic defense. That's how you stop them. And I don't know if the Blazers have that. Well, I know no, they don't. I think really the only team that has that is the San Antonio Spurs. Exactly. That sounds like you just described a chess match. So I think that is tailor-made for seven games of Popovich exactly. versus Alton, Kawhi versus Steph. Um, but that's going to be a fantastic series if that ever happens. But what is the, what is the matchups going to be on defense for the, the Blazers? Who's going to guard Stephen? Who's going to guard Clay? I would I put Aminu really on it matters. Clay. I'd put I'm... Aminu on Clay. If we're trying to have the best chance at winning, you put the taller athletic player on Clay so it's more difficult for him to score. And then so pray who... to God Curry has a off game. So CJ's guarding Barnes then? Yeah, I think. Remember Why wouldn't you put... Cause I, was thinking, I was thinking Aminu on Steph. Do you think... If I... Clay Thompson wants to post up, I would welcome that. If he wants to go there 20 times a night back, fine. Yeah. I'll live with that. I think Portland's going to really have to, I guess, disrupt Curry. And I think Aminu can do that with his length. I also am very intrigued, and I pray to God that Terry Stotts plays Noah Vonley 30 freaking minutes that night and lets him go after Draymond Green and just, you're going up against the best. You know, see what your defense can do because he is long and athletic. He may still be green and he may still make mistakes, but... He's the only he, one that can guard him. Potential. Yeah, he's yeah, the only he's, one with the potential to guard him. I completely agree. So, 
the Blazers did beat them in the preseason, 118-101 to on October 8th. Um, a lot of the Warriors played uh, regular season minutes just like the Blazers. Crab had 25, Dame had 22, CJ had 19 points, uh, Curry had 30, and Clay had 14. This game just feels like it's destined to be a Wild West shootout, a three-point contest, so to speak. You know, you've got the Warriors who average 33-point attempts. That's second most in the league. Portland averages 28. That's 16th. The difference, Golden State's the best team in the NBA at hitting threes. They shoot it at a 42% clip. Portland's still good. They're 12, but at a 35.5% clip. I think Portland has to win the three-point arc to be competitive in this game. And we're... Our t- I will admit that our teams are similar, but there's one thing that is different between the two. Well, there's many things, but a big thing is the defensive scheme. Mike Malone made the defensive scheme for the Warriors. When Steve Kerr went to be, went to the Golden State, he was like, the, uh, the defense is fine. What Mike Malone made was great, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They just changed the offense. We haven't had that Mike Malone type of guy to establish a good, solid defense. So that is going to be a huge thing in this game and the rest of the series. I, I think the Warriors will win, and I agree with you about Draymond being the X-Factor. Yeah, you would say this could be a Cavs-type game where they overlook us, except Golden State's not overlooking anybody. They're no. playing with a ginormous chip on their shoulder and they're not afraid to say it. They think they're still underrated. They still think they're underestimated. And they only won because Kyrie was hurt and because Mike Conley was hurt and and so on and so on. So they're still ready to prove everyone wrong. This is just another game on the schedule for them to get get through and just another W to put on the the record. The Blazers, they're going to have to play like it's their Super Bowl. Um, the fans are going to have to come to cheer. It's going to be difficult, but if Dame and CJ can get going, if Crab can get going like they did in that first game and keep it close, it could happen. I think, I just, right now, the Blazers, I still have that, that Memphis game just etched into my memory, probably because I saw it live. Portland's going to have to get Damian Lillard reaccustomed into the offense and do it quick. I don't know if by Friday is quick enough. Again, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think the Warriors, they're, they're going to find a way to win. Portland might beat them once this year, but I, I don't know if the timing is necessarily right for this to happen on Friday. I think I, I might be more negative, but I think that Stephen Curry and Draymond and Clay will be sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter because they wrapped it up so much in the first three. I mean, it could happen. I, I mean, yeah. I see, they, Portland doesn't usually take take L's that quickly at home. Uh, they always fight back, and I, I think Dame's going to be... If they're, if Dame has a good game against the Clippers or if he gets a rhythm, you know, he's from Oakland. He loves showing out against the Warriors. He knows Steph's one of the best players in the game. Like all great players, he believes he's the best. He's going to want to outperform him. If he can get there and get his assists up, get the teammates involved, and, and take good efficient shots just like CJ, if they can break down that defense to get to the bucket, I think it could be a fun game. I, again, I think it's going to be a single-digit game. I just, I'm just i going to give the advantage to the Warriors because they're playing better right now. Mm-hmm. Um, had Portland 
won a few more of those games, I was I was ready to say upset. Um, I'm just you know little down right now after those after those uh, couple showings against Utah and Memphis, and then you know you got the Clippers coming up, but they do wrap up the week. You know, against the Oklahoma City Thunder, Thunder are 24 and 11. That's good enough for third out west. However, they're just eight and six on the road. Uh, Durant is questionable with a toe injury, and they lost to the Sacramento Kings in OKC during that game that KD missed. Last meeting didn't go so smoothly for Portland uh, in Oklahoma City. It was a, a 16 point loss, uh, 106 to 90 on December 16th. The key in that game was, again, the free throw line, Sage. Uh, Oklahoma City shot 37 free throws. They made 28 compared to Portland's 18, which they were very efficient and made 15. But when you get outshot by 19 at the foul line, you're playing a championship contender on the road. Yeah, 16-point loss is what's going to happen. I mean, when Russell Westbrook and KD get, like, 20 free throws a game... It's hard to keep up with that because the clock stopped and they're fantastic free throw shooters. I still say that one weakness for the Thunder is the shooting guard. Deion Waiters is playing better, but you never want to trust Deion Waiters because he's a bog. Um, I think if CJ can get that, CJ is the one advantage I see it going through all the players. It's his yeah. ability to attack the shooting guard position, because it's Andre Robertson, Robertson, it's Amo, and it's Deion Waiters. Robertson's a good defender, but can't shoot, and the other two don't care about defense at all. So that's the one matchup I see that we can get an advantage on. So I say CJ's the X Factor. Yeah, and you touched on KD and Russ. You know, KD is 12th at the, in the league at getting to the line at 6.9 times per game. Russ is 4th, gets there 7.7 times. So Portland has to be very careful, especially Alfred Camino. He cannot get into foul trouble. He's our one perimeter weapon. That being said, you're right. CJ is our ticket in this game. He can go one-on-one against anybody if he gets hot. Hopefully they double and we are able to swing the ball around, but I think it starts with him. Dame's got to make Russell work on the defensive end. And if I'm Portland playing defense, I do what the Grizzlies or what the Warriors did to the Grizzlies in the playoffs. They sat, they put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and just played a mini zone without, without getting defensive three in the key. I would do that against Waiters and Roberson all game long. If Waiters hits threes, okay, you stop it. But especially with Roberson, you know, make them play four on five. You know, just do something unconventional. Don't um, do that with Amo. No, definitely future not. Future Blazer Amo. Future Blazer Amo. Don't do no, that. No, I do not want to beat Future. No, let's squash that right now. But. But do you see that Gerald Henderson, could you see him melding with the Thunder? Meshing with the Thunder? Yeah, I think that's a perfect trade partner. I think you look at a team like Chicago, uh, Dallas. Um, just those type of teams that are in win-now mode and are either need depth or they're weak at the guard. Um, you get one minutes there. I don't think any of those teams would really blink twice about setting us a heavily protected first-round pick in this draft, top 20 protected, whatever. You know, that would be fantastic to go into the draft with two first-round picks. But the Thunder just, it feels like a bad matchup to me. I was thinking about this, you know, on my walk home from work, 
if the Blazers made the playoffs, who would I want them to realistically play out of those top three teams? To me, it definitely wasn't San Antonio because they're just a machine come playoff time, and they can beat you in so many ways. And it's not the Thunder because I don't want to have to deal with Russell and KD. Oddly enough, I, I think Portland would lose, obviously, in all three of those matchups, but I'd rather play the Warriors. I think the teams are kind of similar, and that's the best team I think we'd have a chance at upsetting. Like I said, this just feels like a bad matchup against the Thunder. We have no low post score to take advantage of their bigs. Like when we had Aldridge, he would dominate them inside. As we spoke on earlier, uh, we have that. We don't have that. Um, so, I want you to take your shot now. Word to Alexander Hamilton. Make your make a bold prediction like I did with Myers to Orlando for Channing Frye in a first round pick. What is your? What's your What's your prediction? What's your D money, Sir prediction, Thomas. Predict, yeah. Prediction in what though? A like, trade. Wins, oh, a trade. Yeah. Well, still mine. I've been one that's been talking about Myers potentially getting moved on this podcast for for a minute now. I think that's what's going to happen. That won't really. Damn. Because you you look at Myers and it's not that I don't like him. It's the fact that he's a restricted free agent. I don't want to pay close to max money for him. Uh, he's a specialist who is just an amazing three point shooter. But he still hesitates too often. He still is learning how to rebound. And I just don't see enough consistency out of him. I thought he really turned the corner in that Memphis series. You know, unfortunately, he had some injuries. I think he might be one of our better trade chips, too, because you're probably not looking to trade CJ or Dane. So if you can get what you can get... um, I also am a big on the Vonley bandwagon, so I've, I've got Vonley starting ahead of him anyways. Again, I like Myers, but that's not, that's probably my bold prediction. I would love it if they could net us a, a KCP or a... Uh, I don't... Where does KCP play, though? I don't... Troy, no yeah. Or... I think he could... I think Myers would be a great Celtic. For, for who? Who do we get? I would love Jake Crowder. I think that's, that's selling low on Myers. I think he fixes a lot of problems on that defense, though. Maybe if they toss in the first-round pick. They have four. Exactly. <laughs> they have four, so if they tossed in... So, if they did a Jay Crowder for one of their firsts, would you do it? Depending on the first. I mean, yeah, I think if you if you give Olshay two first-round picks in this draft, we, we spoke about this last podcast with Larry, he's going to do good things with it. I really trust him with the draft. I know he's some some GMs are more pro free agency. You know that's where they make their money. Some GMs are draft. Olshay nails the draft. Not only could you maybe pack two players to move up, draft a, a, a prospect and maybe a four year guy, or draft somebody with a lot of potential and then trade the other pick. There's just so many options you could do with two picks um, that I would love to see. Again, I still really like Myers and hope he succeeds in Portland, but if Portland does make a big move that's not Cayman or Henderson, that's probably my my line of thinking of, of who could go. But uh, who did you say your X-Factor was in that game, Sage? In the, I was trying to Google Turkish NBA prospect because I forgot his name. Because I think it's he... Fir- was it? It's Firkin. Firkin. I think Firkin's going to be a blazer next year. I believe his last name, because I was looking this it up. It has a K during, in it. 
Oh man, my internet is going slow. Jimmy Cricket. Firkin Cosmos. Yeah, he's he's a young buck out of Turkey. What Blazer fans, Rip City. He's gonna be a Blazer if we get a second first round pick. He he's a scheme fit, so I think watch out for him. Get your get your Turkish dictionaries out, get your pronunciations right, because he's gonna be a Blazer. You do. You put in the work. You put in the work, definitely. You you know what you're talking about in terms of all of these random NBA players that, you know, I'll be the first to mention. I have not seen a lot of Robert Covington or Jeremy Grant, but, you know, you have. So I'm taking your your word as bond when it (laughs) comes to that. So I don't think a lot of people appreciate or know just how much hoops you watch. So you are just an infinite resource. Shout out to that girl. (laughs) She doesn't know what she's missing. I know, right? You are right. Mail time. Let's go. Fan question from Joseph Good. He asked, who do you think the rookie of the year, sixth man, and MVP is? Because I I think we can agree MIP is CJ. CJ is MIP. Yep. Uh, Sixth man, I got my boy Will the Thrill Barton, who... Looks just absolutely fantastic in Denver. He was showing out in mm-hmm. in Rip City. Um, I got Will Barton. I think that's a perfect situation for him where he can get the ball in his hands. I tweeted, he is what I wanted Sebastian Telfair to be. Mm-hmm. Shoot threes, ball in his hands, make flashy passes, just plays reckless but beautiful basketball. So I'm so, so happy that Will Barton's, you know, performing well and getting a chance to shine in Denver. He's easily my sixth man. Uh, rookie of the year, I think, is pretty easily going to be Carl Anthony Towns. Although uh, Porzingis could make a late run, I really don't think there's even a third option. Now. No. I think it's those two guys are are head and shoulders. Overall, been a little bit disappointed with this draft class. You, know, you got Okafor, who's not really producing as much. Uh, Russell hasn't looked like the number two pick. Moutier is hurt. Hazonia doesn't get too much run for the Magic. Um, so rookies, they take time. You know, even if it's supposed to be a loaded draft class, they take time. So we got those guys for the Rookie of the Year. What was the last one? Uh, MVP? Yep. I, I Steph Curry. I mean, yep. I don't think it's... it's If it's not Steph Curry, it's Draymond Green. You cannot have one without the other. I think they complement each other so fabulously that... Uh, I disagree you know, with if you could give a, man, though. Who do you got? And I, This is a bias pick, and I'm fine with that. No, no Pelicans. Ryan Anderson. No! You cannot give... 18 points, 7 rebounds. I was about about to say something so ignorant that I cut myself off. What was it? So so you can't give the 6th man of the year to an 11-22 and team. I woke up, (laughs) tempers 12-23. Ryan Anderson is playing fantastic ball. It's a bias pick. I love Ryan Anderson. He is my favorite basketball player currently. So I, I want Ryan Anderson to get sixth man of the year and most improved in the in the same career. So I'm going Ryan Anderson. Okay. I mean it's not a bad pick, but Will the Thrill, thrill. has an ultimate green thrill. light. The thrill. I'm going with my favorite player. I mean You like Ryan Anderson more than Anthony Davis? He is my favorite player. It, you A D was your boo last year. Yeah, he was. He, you saw- him a little bit. You're souring on him. I okay. Here's the deal. 
80 is far more important to the the the, the future of the Pelicans franchise. And I'm well aware of that. But when you have an opportunity to root for a person that you genuinely think is a good person, I and is a fantastic basketball player, I'm taking that every time. Because he's gone through some stuff, healed up. I am rooting for him 100% of the way. He is my favorite player. I root for him because he works hard, gives 100% like Bassey. So I'm rooting, I'm going for I'm going for Ryan Anderson. Yeah, you know if it can't if it's not Bassey, it's going to be Ryan Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're still a little salty on AD not giving 100 percent effort. Yeah, I am. But isn't there hasn't there been a Blazer that you've watched that you just root for 100 percent? Yes, that has talent. So Travis Outlaw. Yeah. So Ryan Anderson's my white Travis Outlaw. He was mine and Olga's favorite Blazer. We actually we were season ticket holders our first year. Oh, we were for about four or five years. In our first year, we did a, a meet and greet after the game. Super nice guy. Allowed us to take a couple extra pictures. Um, he was just you know seemed like a genuinely nice guy who just you know loved being himself. And it was fun watching Monty Williams to, tutor him and. He was Mr. Fourth Quarter. There was a time when he was the best sixth man in basketball, and you know I loved watching him and beat Roy on the court, um, just hit clutch shot after clutch shot. So I can definitely agree with you know a role player being your favorite player. You just you love that player so much. But Sage, oh, can I think, do one more hot take since you mentioned Monty Williams? I'm trying to wrap up this show for our listeners, but yes, let's get one more hot take in there. I think Monty Williams is going to be the coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I'll do another hot take. He's a much better coach than Alvin Gentry. You're you're taking too long to decide on that, so I'm going to take that as a yes. And I'm also going to wrap up this podcast. You won that, but I think he, I think you'd be a perfect play, uh, coach for that too. So you can find this podcast on Stitcher and on SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. If you have a question, you can send us an email at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And as always, we are on Twitter at holybackboard during games, non-games, all times of the night. Until then, I hope you had a safe and happy New Year, Rip City. It's 2016. Let's get some wins. Let's watch some basketball. Let's enjoy our trailblazers. As Sean's would say, good night, everybody. We want more listeners. Let's make this a twice a week thing. Boom. Let's